Brendan Burns. Hello. So you are a stand-up, right? Yep. And you've been doing stand-up for quite a long time, about 15 Since years? Since the dawn of time. There was a lone man standing atop Comedy Mountain. I was next to him holding a dildo <laughs> and what? a whoopee cushion because that's how I work. But you won the If Dot Comedy Award, the penultimate one, the year before last. That's right, 2007. That was quite a wait. For what it was a long time coming. Everyone was very nice about it. But I'm glad it happened now. Had you given up daydreaming about it by that point? I'm briefly interrupting to let you know that I'm Marsha from yesyesmarsha.com and this is from a series of interviews that I did from 2009 to 2011 called Marsha Meets, which were long-form interviews with stand-up comedians that eventually inspired the book Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. That book's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. Back to the interview. Had you given up daydreaming about it by that point? No. No? No, but I knew as well that uh, that year it might be my last shot because of the offers that I had in the first week were kind of so massive that I may have been ineligible the following year. Oh. Not all of them came to fruition anyway, so I would have been. Uh, but that but must have been quite something, having done comedy for so long. I, I, I mean, even eligible to be nominated. And so even when it came to being uh, nominated, I... I, I mean, a lot of the press at the time were kind of like writing, oh, the, the award needs him more than he needs the award, and that's just not true. I really needed it. <laughs> 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 I, um, I think people have denounced it in the past and, uh, and done some damage to it, and, uh, but I've done my utmost to kind of carry it with the dignity I think it deserves. Yeah, well, it's... Well, I mean, I don't want to be too serious about a comedy award after all. But it's but essentially, it's the Oscar of the comedy award. It is. It's an Oscar for live comedy, you know. It's it's what everyone in the world knows about it. And and uh, it, it should be the be-all be and end-all because Edinburgh is the toughest competition going. It's the most scrutiny. It's the longest anyone has to perform. It's the most gigs. And it's against the best in the world. And so it must have been amazing. It, it, was, it was really, you know, it was very... It was very nice how nice everyone was about it, because I'm not the best comic, but I do work hard. Well, clearly, you and, know, I'd say evidence suggests it. Uh, <laughs> no, no I, I, I'm were. not the best comic. I just had the right show at the right time. Well, you, your show was kind of... Although, you know, exactly, so I should be pitching it hard there, shouldn't I? <laughs> I shouldn't be bearing out false humility. Uh, uh, <laughs> trying to be likeable. No, no, no. Uh, the, but what I mean there is the show was, you know, it's 60% talent, 40% decisions, and I made the right decisions that year. So the show that you did was kind of quite significant in that you had a bit of a big life turnaround the last couple of years. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was certainly like the second year I was working sober there. And that made a big difference as well. Because none of that, when you kind of get to a certain level at Edinburgh, you're, you're more eligible than, say, someone's first time or someone in a smaller venue. So that's why in past years, I believe, some people fluked it through. Because one person on the panel would say, you know what, this is a standout show, everyone should go and see it. And they all went on the one night. And someone fluked it. You know what I mean? Mm. Whereas if you're kind of one of the major runners who's been going there for 10 years, you're seen the entire time by one. Or, you know, there's only one or two of them in per night. Um, whereas, uh, as I've heard from other people, they had like the entire panel in. So presumably before you were sober, that meant that your shows would have been a bit hit and miss. Yeah. That's what uh, Nika Burns, no relation. So <laughs> we can forget the uh, conspiracy theories. But uh, she said that year as well, the one thing that's always shot him in the foot is consistency. 
because invariably someone would always come along and I was coming down or something. And, and, you know, when you're coming down, you're deluded that you're not hitting your marks quite right. But, you know, I was in a kind of a good physical condition to be hitting the, the marks right and out of the park every night. And the level of scrutiny that it was and the amount of gigs that I had to do, it was just the, the form that I had to be on. I just know what it's, you know, anyone that wins... I know from now on anyone that wins really must have deserved it because it's really hard. <laughs> it was very, very difficult. And uh, but I have you know I have to give a big shout out to big shout out. What am I Radio <laughs> One? Um, big credit has to go to my cast and directors and so on. Uh, again, it was the uh, picking the right people to work with and and it was the right show, right time and and the DVD is being produced so well. Because so much of the show is about the audience and their reactions. And uh, Andrew Baint has to get a lot of credit there as well, the uh, producer over at Open Mic, because we shot the crowd the entire time. As opposed to, you know, people say they lose a lot in uh, stand-up DVDs. Hang on, this is your DVD that came out tail end of last year. Yes. That is called, so I suppose this is offensive now. Yes, and this is the award-winning show. And, which uh, I think it's the first time in a, the the the... The If.com show has gone straight to DVD. Oh. People have got DVD deals, but I don't think a show has been bought and, and put out lock stock. And so how did you make it so it wasn't just a dude on stage? Uh, we had mirrors up on stage so you can see the whole crowd and the audience was lit and we had like nine cameras. There was uh, six on stage and three on the crowd. And there's one bit where a woman is so offended that she walks out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we kept her in. Yeah. Her and uh, we don't want to reveal the twist about the guy that's with her. But at first, let's just say that I thought they were boyfriend and girlfriend, but I don't want to spoil the surprise for people. But we covered ourselves legally because we uh, we uh, put it in. Um, uh, we put up a sign outside saying you'll be filmed and so on. And uh, so what could be more, you know, a, a better representation of a live gig than someone storming out in outrage? And so we kept her in. So, But the whole show is about the nat nature of offence and outrage being selfish, well, particularly artistic outrage anyway that uh, she kind of proved the point and, uh, you know, wanted to stop the whole show because she was pissed off. But so in she's in now. <laughs> That's her penance. Well, you, you're you kind of famous for dealing with hecklers pretty, how should we say, strongly. Like, you know, you've gaffer taped people up and had them thrown out the venue by the rest of the crowd before. Yeah, that's happened. Have you ever had a heckle, though, that's just silenced you? Yeah. It was at Up the Creek and my son was at the back of the room. And it looked like it could have got violent and I didn't want violence to happen in front of my son. So I backed off. And, and they were really, the crowd was coked up. They were horrible people. And then my son got on the mic at the back of the room and went, Dad, it's not working. Get back now. And even hearing a nine-year-old boy, I mean, these people were behaving appallingly and I did everything I could to try and entertain them. And uh, just wide to the gills they were. As far as I'm concerned, you know what? I'm a bit of a bigot but not in a racist, sexist, homophobic kind of fashion, but in the fact that I prejudge. It's time for the uneducated masses of Britain to be culled because they're not what I had in mind. If you've got a bottle of blue WKD in your hand, you should be shot on sight. <laughs> you know what I mean? The Sharons and Tracys every Friday night going, leave it, Darren, leave it. You know what? All of you kick off. Start giving these people weapons and lots, watch them kill themselves off because it's not my Britain. It's not what I had in mind. My, my Britain was a bunch of sophisticated people sitting around a dinner table <laughs> quoting Keats, smoking a pipe with a Sherlock Holmes hat. It was never going to happen. The chavs have got to go. <laughs> Stuff them. So that one silenced you. Sorry. Oh, it was very funny, though. I rang uh, Reg Hunter afterwards, and uh, you'll have to bleep me here. 
I said, oh, God, I feel really bad. You know, that, that I, I died in front of my son and everything. But I backed off because there was going to be violence. And he just like, he sat while and went, man, fuck your son. <laughs> and he said, you trying to tell me that he ain't going to see violence in life? Fuck him and fuck you. And uh, and then I realized, yeah, you know what was upset was I, that the fact that I'd let that room full of people disrespect me in front of my boy. Mm. I should have actually just said, you know what, you've done that in front of my nine-year-old. You should all be ashamed of yourselves. But so what happened when the, when he got on the mic, the nine-year-old? Exactly, the kills. Even then, when they were like, oh, you know what, maybe we've behaved appallingly in front of someone's nine-year-old. No, didn't stop him. Mm. Scum. Huh. Burn him to the ground. You're writing a book. I think these people only procreate by seagulling a woman from a passing car, <laughs> and then she goes and pukes in a puddle and... Nine months later, out comes another fucktard. Um, you're writing a book. Yes, I am. I want to know about it. You've been doing it. You've been working on it for four it's years. It's been a pet project for since late 2004. Four years. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's the tale of what happened when myself, Paul Provenza, and Barry Castanola went to um, Vegas. Uh, I was doing a lot of hallucinogens at the time, and uh, I'd had what I perceived to be a vision, and it was me with two other guys in a photograph on the back seat of a convertible yeah, with the Nevada skyline behind us. And I wanted to go and pursue to be the guy in the photograph, you know, to step outside to kind of prove that I could be anything I wanted. And then half an hour later, Barry rang me, divulging that he'd split up with his missus. And I then convinced him to come to Vegas with me in an attempt to heal his broken heart. I thought that if we pursued this photograph, something spiritually significant would happen. And in order to throw a spanner into the works, Provenza went and bought Barry's dad a hooker. Not Barry, Barry's dad. What? Why? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Because uh, to prove his point that, that, that this vision and this collective unconscious experiment I was having, he, he, well, I don't want to spoil the end of the book. Okay. But why? His reasons for it are very funny. It was basically after he moralized for like the whole journey. In the end, he went, you know what? It was just the funniest thing I could think of. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, you've been working on this book. Yeah. You want to make it into a film? I'd love to. Where'd you get that from? Because uh, I've done my research. Oh, good for you. <laughs> I'd love to, ultimately, yeah. Well, I presume after the award, that's the kind of thing that people are more likely to be open to. Well, I'm, I'm off to the US in, in February. If this isn't a stupid... And there's a lot of agents and so on coming to the show out there. They, they, we're doing this show out there. And if this isn't a stupid question, do you want to be in the film? Or do you just want yeah, to be writing it? Yeah, of course. I want right. everyone to play themselves. But obviously, I need to get other jobs and, and get enough money to shoot the flick. I think this is definitely my pet. This is my baby. And I, I would be very apprehensive to put it in someone else's hands. So I've got to go and do a whole lot of other jobs and get myself in a position where I can then go, no, Barry plays Barry, Paul plays Paul, and I not- play me. And I'd love uh, Keith Castanola, uh, may he rest in peace. He passed away on recently. So uh, I'd like Aid Edmondson to play his dad, I think. And so if you had control, you wouldn't have to worry about it turning into a I journey be for doing, a man. No, I wouldn't be doing... find themselves. Yes, no, no, no. It's, it's going to be the funniest thing we can imagine. Uh, you know, there's, there's a narrative arc about perception and it's about friendship and so on. But the script really writes itself and everyone does keep on going. Sounds like a good flick. Okay. I think I'd like to maybe make it a cross between From Dusk Till Dawn in that... Uh, I might like just BS in the second half and say that we got abducted by aliens. <laughs> but wouldn't it be great? If, wouldn't Dust to Dawn be great if you didn't know it was a vampire flick going in? Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it have been awesome to just be like, and now it's vampires. And you're like, what? Yeah. So I'd love to do something like that. It's just like it starts off as a road movie and then, uh, and then in space. Well, if you, if you make sure you keep the script closely uh, 
God, I can do whatever ends. I want. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, or uh, you know, release one version to press and then another one. very far one. ahead of ourselves. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I, 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 I've kept it on the back burner for years and thought that I would never be in the position. And then the lovely Sarah Elmsley at Transworld approached me and I told them the, the, the whole story in an afternoon over lunch and her and the uh, head of commissions were just in stitches. Transworld is? Uh, Transworld Publishing, they own about like five book publishers, don't they? Right. Random House and... Okay. Don't they make everything? I'm quite ignorant about book publishers. They, I don't know. I've been to their offices, one of their offices, and it's massive. Right. That would imply. There's a lot of books going on there. <laughs> and so they like the idea. Love so it. is this, I mean, you've been working this for four years. Is this a like, it's definitely going to happen and be out at some point? The book. Oh, yeah. No, I'm running it right now as we speak, and the deal's on the table and everything. Remind me what it's called? Fear of Hat Loss in Las Vegas. Excellent. I want to do something with you, if it's all right. Okay. Quiz. Take your pants off. No, <laughs> not that. Um, I, you've slightly thrown me then, but not massively. Oh, um, a quiz. Okay, when you Wikipedia you... Yes. Well, when you Google you, in fact, your Wikipedia comes up. Have There's we said li- more about the DVD? We, we kind of got... We'll go back to the DVD again. Okay. What else do you want to say? I don't know. It's really it's good. Out. People should buy it. I'm going to yeah. get thrashed. It is. I'm not going to be allowed on telly to publicise it, so... <laughs> and it's never going to make its way onto telly. Well, there is a little clip going around, actually, of the... Uh, you mentioned the lady... Oh, the woman arguing. Yeah, that's kind of going And then the crowd kind of insisted that. we keep it in, so we mm. kept it in. Well, so you can... If people Google that, they can... Uh, yeah. Get a taster. They can also... Uh, I think if they Google me and Leeds, they can see me brutalising a scouser at the Leeds Festival. Someone filmed it on their, their uh, phone camera. Okay. And it's like five-minute tirade to the extent where, as a matter of fact, they've only got the first five minutes of it. It was the longest I've ever tore into anyone. It was a kid trying to jump the barrier and have a go at me, but he was like 16 or something. It was out of his mind. But it just all kind of came out. I'd had like a long train journey, and I just tore this kid a new one to the extent where it stops, and I go, man, that was brutal. But that was like the first five minutes. It was that long that at three separate intervals, I had to stop, take a breath, and go... Man, this is the longest I've ever torn into someone. This is just, oh, wow, stick your head in an oven, kid. Today's just, <laughs> you, you throw, a, throw a rope over the banister, you know. Which Leeds Festival was that last year? Yeah. So this is, you're, you're tearing into people. This is now, you're sober. You're still, you've kind of still got that. You haven't lost that just from, it's not like you've suddenly become this incredibly good person from cleaning up. Like, <laughs> yeah. Thanks very much. No, well, I presume you still, if you've got mischief in your brain. Hang on, is it, uh, no, it's, I still have a sense of justice. Always have. And I don't, like, just go in and start tearing into someone that didn't provoke it. And, uh, you know, I particularly see as a lot of people as well kind of aren't maybe armed to go as... And I'll only go as far as a, as a room hates someone. You know, it gets to the extent where some people behave so appallingly at a comedy gig that the further you go, you can just say to them, look, this is how far you've gone. This is how much you're annoying people. This situation isn't about you. And invariably, I don't do... I've got, like, some stocky put-down lines that I've written over the years, but often it'll just be utilising the situation back against them. Have you ever gone too far? Have the audience ever... Yeah. When? Years ago. It was the line, the, the night the line was crossed. You won't like me after I've told the story. I yeah. like you already. I made up my mind. But you will go, that's too far, basically, uh, and you won't be able to put it out. There was a woman carrying on all night and being very annoying and ruining, ruining everyone's gigs and everyone thought that she was drunk. And, like, uh, I think Martin Trenderman, who who's a writer now, but she was like, it's my birthday on Monday! And he was like, what, am I supposed to ring you? And, uh, you know, everyone kind of dealt with her all night, but she behaved that appallingly. This is how appallingly she behaved all night. That 
I got up and tore into her for about five minutes. And then she got up to go to the toilet. And as she was going to the toilet, I reached down into my pants, past my testicles, can we say that? To my anus. <laughs> Are these all words we can put out? I think so. Yeah, and plucked out hairs and went, grabbed her pint glass. And at the last second, uh, just like I... Because everyone at that stage, everyone in the audience just thought it was pubes, pubic. And I knew, I was the only one in the room that knew the truth. And there was a devil and an angel on my shoulder. And I'm like, oh, shouldn't I be doing this, right? And then everyone was like, yeah! And I went to plink him in a drink. And it was her and her boyfriend had gone for another pint. And and, and there was just like a small remnants in the, in the base of a pint. But as I just, the last second, I saw little rolled up toilet paper baubles. <laughs> And uh, I plunked them in my in her drink. She came back, started piping up again, and I went, why do I get the feeling that you're going to do something really funny in the next 30 seconds? And she necked it in one. And the place went nuts. We then kept on tearing into her, and then she started divulging more information about herself. And it was only after the event that it became apparent to me and the entire room that she was actually mentally challenged. No. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like uh, she said, I haven't taken my medication. And then like it was like, oh, you're not just drunk. And then everyone in the room started to like, oh, no. Because up until then, everyone had gone, go as far as you want with this woman. And then it, and I remember just driving home. It was John Henderson. I think I was giving him a lift. And I just went, you know what? That was too far. And he went, yeah, that was the line. Oh, that's tricky. But you weren't to know. Uh, no, I wasn't to know. But... Uh, yeah, that's the line. Okay. That's the line. That was, you know, when people ask me, have you ever gone too far? Yeah, that was too far. Sticking toilet paper layered ass hair yeah. in a mentally challenged woman's <laughs> pint. I, I'd, I'd say, I'd, yeah, I'm... Well, you've set the bar nice and low. So uh, I'll go under that. <laughs> yeah, I'll just, exactly, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll stay inshore of that. <laughs> so on Wikipedia, yeah. Brendan Burns, it says uh, that your stand-up routine is typified by an aggressive confrontational delivery... I think that's fair enough. Really? See, I would say that I'm emotive. And the thing is, I, I do all the emotions. It's an empathetic performance, perhaps. But because aggression is the most obvious one, that's the one that everyone clings to. But I think I do all of them. I think I do joy, envy, fear. Do you want to test it? What do you mean? I've got an anger management test. Do you want to do it? Absolutely. I don't show my anger about everything that makes me mad, but when I do, look out. This is all true or false, by the way. Well, everyone's going to say yes to that. We'll put true. I still get angry when I think of the bad things people did to me in the past. Yeah. Waiting in line or waiting for other Hang people. Hang on a second, though. But in fairness, I've you know found a lot of ways to let a lot of stuff go. Yeah. Well, you don't really it get It depends how, like, how far in the past. We're saying the past? Yeah, I've let the past go. Yeah. No, no, no. Actually, false. False. Okay. I fly off the handle easily? No. Okay. You're doing better at this than I do. Some of them. I often Don't find forget, myself... I have the very cathartic experience of expressing a lot of my anger on stage. That's true. So all the trivial stuff kind of gets, uh, you know, I get away with a lot of things as well. Um, I can express myself in a fashion a lot of people can't in this country. And invariably, no one really gets too upset when I do because they're like, well, he's Australian. It's part of his culture. And it's like, <laughs> no, it's quite a conservative country. I have to leave. Pretty my act doesn't work in Australia. I mean, there's some people that want to come and see it, but there's a very limited demographic for me in Australia. Is there? Well, your average Australian listens to me going, oh, freaking, oh, and everyone's just like, calm down, mate. <laughs> it's hot outside. What's he on? 
Settle down. When someone says or does something that upsets me, I don't usually say anything at the time, but later I spend a lot of time thinking up cutting replies I could and should have made. Yeah. Really? I'm a comedian. That's my job. Oh, but I would have thought because you're a comedian and it's your job, you're more practised. At... No, no, no. Basically, whenever people heckle, what they don't realise is, you know how you think of what you should have said in the car on the way home? Well, that's like 17 years of practising that. Right. So invariably, you're very rarely surprised because whatever someone yells at you, someone has before and you've had time to labour over it and prepare yourself and destroy them. So in fairness, I've done that so I don't need to. Okay. So then that would be false. This one's kind of weird. People people really irritate me when they don't behave the way they should or when they act like they don't have the good sense of a head of lettuce. They, they don't have the head of... Uh, the good sense <laughs> as a head of lettuce. It's very bizarre. I, I'm not sure I understand the question. Making but... up cliches. I love that. You, sir, are like a wooden fence. Hard to paint. Painted by Huck Finn. That's what you are. And then just like, I'm insulted in fashions I don't understand. What was the question again? It was, uh, people, it's true or false, people really irritate me when they don't behave the way they should or when they act like they don't have the good sense of a head of lettuce. A lack of accountability in pretty much everyone <laughs> bothers the hell out of me. I'll say that's a true. If yeah. you get really upset about something, uh, do you have a tendency to feel sick later, either with a weak spell, headache, upset stomach or diarrhoea? Do I what? If I get upset with something... If do you I... get really upset about something... Yeah. Do you get diarrhea? Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, all of these things happen, so that's why I had to deal with it, Then and don't let it get to that. Okay, well, then that's false. But it happens, so mm. you then have to cope with it. I don't live like that because it happens every now and then. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make this sense. This can happen, so I have to avoid it. Okay, but then because... I'm going to go with false. I've been so angry at times, I couldn't remember things I said or did. No, I become quite lucid when I'm angry. Um, it's quite strange, I... Uh, in the past, like when when I was drinking and so on, I remember once Barry and I got we got into a fight in South End, and I became very eloquent all of a sudden, which actually scared the crap out of the guys, and they started running off. And he looked at me afterwards and said, "Man, you get verbose when you're angry, <laughs> like proper, like when it's about to kick off. I get really, really verbose." That's brilliant. It clearly works. It's much you, sir. Than... <laughs> you know, <laughs> I will not be dragged into such levels of parochialism. <laughs> you South End cunts. <laughs> Better than uh, punching them in the face or throwing stuff at them. After arguing with someone, I hate myself. No, I hate them. Why would I hate myself after arguing with someone? No. This is an odd one. I've had trouble on the job because of my temper. No, absolutely <laughs> not. It's been very handy. I'm a really angry person and I know I need help learning to... This is, <laughs> this is like, do you have anger hey, management? management? What a test. I'm a really angry person. I know I need help learning to control my temper and angry feelings because it's already caused me a lot of problems. They should have just asked that at the beginning. <laughs> Are you black or white? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with false. <laughs> now, I have to say, I did this test earlier to test it. I consider myself to be pretty much one of the most docile people I know. Yeah. And it told me I should seriously consider seeking out some anger management. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wow. So I don't, this is like, a, you know, it's a proper website. My friend Adam Bloom, mm -hmm. he's, a, he's a very intense comedian. He did a show in Edinburgh last year about him going to see an anger management counsellor and they had a row. And he's got taped conversations of the anger management counsellor ringing him up and abusing him. No. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. What? The thing is, he was like going, he was saying to me, you know, oh, look, uh, you know, it's a bit hack, this idea of, you know, I went to an anger management counsellor and we had a round. I went, 
It's not hack if it actually happened to you. And not only that, that could only happen to you. <laughs> yeah. You know, I said it's hilarious because it's you. You're the funniest person that that could happen to. Well, you'll be pleased to know that uh, you answered fewer than five questions as being true, which suggests that you're more in control of your anger than are most people. Mm. So unlike me, you don't need to seek help on it. Where's you need counselling? <laughs> I clearly need counselling. Brendan Burns, your DVD, it's out now. So I suppose this is offensive now. And uh, and we'll keep an eye out for your book. And hopefully, fingers crossed, the movie. Oh, well, you know, that's a long way in the future. But you never know. Yeah. We live in dream. Yeah. I mean, interestingly as well, with the pack shot of the DVD, because originally it was me with four of what I deemed to be offensive images. And it was originally me blacked up with a bone through my nose, me in a fairy outfit, me as Christ on the cross, and me in a wheelchair. But they said, you can't have Christ and you can't have a wheelchair because you won't make it onto shelves. Which tells us something about our society, about who we're willing to upset. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> the, the whole point of it was uh, the joke was supposed to be about uh, the butt of the, the show is not any race, but actually I'm taking the mickey out of racism, you know, or homophobia or all bigotries. But now without the other two there, it kind of detracts from it. So we've got an insight on the CD. Okay. So that everyone knows what we're talking about once they buy it. But we wouldn't make it on the shelves otherwise. Oh, well. There's, it would appear that when it comes to oppressed minorities, there's a hierarchy. Right. Brendan Burns, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. I've had a great time. Now take your pants off. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. If you like that, you'll probably love the book that I put together with Deborah Francis White called Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. So asking them things like, what's your writing process? How do you find your voice? What do you think about touring? How do you deal with hecklers? We interviewed 42 stand-ups, including Eddie Izzard, Sarah Millican, Phil Jupiter, Stuart Lee, Mark Maron. It's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. If you want to find out more, go to yesyesmarsha.com forward slash off the mic.